Hello and welcome to episode 160 of the CogniCast, a podcast about software and the people who create it. I'm Russ Olson. This week, Christian Romney talks with Cognitech and New Bank's own Jared Taylor about Datomic and Poetry and DevLocal and others goings on in the closure world. And yes, Poetry is part of that. But mostly Christian and Jared talk about Schema Cartographer, Jared's brilliant utility that provides a means to visualize and edit your Datomic Schema. But before we jump into the episode proper, I'd like to remind everyone that we are hiring engineers, especially mobile developers and project managers and product managers and technical writers and technical onboarding and education specialists. So if our journey sounds exciting and interesting to you, reach out to us at jobs at Cognitech.com. But for now, sit back and open your ears and your heart and your mind to Christian and Jared and episode 160 of the Cognicast. Welcome, everybody. Today is Friday, April 23rd, 2021, and you are listening to The Cognicast. I'm your host, Christian Romney, and our guest today is my friend and colleague, Jared Taylor. Jared, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to uh, get a chance to chat. Yeah, it's my pleasure. As you may know, it's our custom to ask each guest to open the show by sharing an experience of art. An experience of art. I'm not being a good guest yet because I don't have anything in mind. First thing that comes to mind is, okay, so art for me, motivation is what I like, right? I enjoy things that I find, well, that's not the only thing I like. But something popping to mind is like what motivates me. So I'm thinking of potentially it's a poem or short story, the Bukowski poem, All the Way. It's coming to mind. I've always found that to be an inspirational one, just the notion of... I think I've always liked the idea of perseverance and if you're going to go for something to engage in it with all of your being to the point that it becomes all consuming. I think that's what comes to mind for art. So that, that's something that, that I, I would, if people aren't familiar with it, it's a very short and motivational uh, read in my opinion. Oh, cool. I'll show you. Do, you, do you by chance have it committed to memory? And I don't even know why that one popped up. It's been quite some time since I've read it, but sure. Trying to think of pictures I've seen or songs I've heard or, or things I've read that have inspired me to keep going when I'm tired. That's one that I think comes to mind. That's fantastic. I, I love that. And we'll make sure that we include it in the show notes. I will definitely have a read. Okay, great. So I guess first off, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us just how it is that we know each other, what, what it is that you do just at a high level. Absolutely. So... I'm Jared Taylor, currently on the Datomic project team. I just moved over into that role, I think about two and a half, three months ago. So started contracting with Cognitex over three years ago, I think, and I've been full-time for over two at this point. Came over on the new bank merger and our good friend Marshall just left the Datomic team and I kind of slid in there to his, trying to fill some of the shoes that he left behind. That's where I'm at now and have been 
I've had a wonderful time really for everything I've worked on with, with all the Cognitech folks, but having a great time currently. That's awesome. And so what did you do prior to uh, joining Cognitech? Prior to Cognitech, for several years I was doing closure work. So once upon a time, a long time ago, ancient history, I think I came by way of this, of very finance-related stuff, VBA kind of development, moved into the web arena, the early days of JavaScript and Went through some of the early iterations of that. Was a Python developer for quite some time. And uh, then was doing Closure for several years before I got to cross paths with the Cognitech group. That's cool. And uh, how did you, how did that happen? Previous job I had doing Closure development, CTO in the job, he became a big fan of what we were able to do. And the company funding had trouble, it disbanded, and we all kind of went in different directions. He landed somewhere and sold them on the idea, the value proposition of bringing in closure in Datomic. So he gave me a call and uh, said, hey, interested in a position. I always enjoy working with you, but what's the deal? He said, well, Cognitech's going to be here also. So uh, it was mm-hmm. a no question opportunity for me. So came in and that was, that was my original introduction to Justin and Alex and everybody working on the project. So yeah, hit it off great there and just loved working with them and was very excited the opportunity to come on board full time. That's great. And and when did you first stumble across closure? Uh, I don't know when I first stumbled across closure. I remember the first time I stumbled across Stu and Datomic. I remember being at a, a conference in probably 2013 and going to see Stu talk. And I'd heard of Datomic, but I, I didn't know much about it. And he was speaking about it at the time and was already a closure fan at that point. But that definitely just lit a fire under me to eventually someday I'm like, that's what I want to be doing. I really love to move in that direction. So quite some time ago. What a fateful day that was for you. <laughs> it was, man. It really was. Yeah, it always, it's still wild uh, to be on stand-up every morning with with folks who I've watched give talks and looked up to and modeled some thinking after for a long time. Yeah, that's pretty surreal. So you also said you were a Python developer prior to that. And how did that go? Do you still dabble in Python or use it for projects outside of work or anything or i don't really have too much to do with it i mean you, you kind of it's fairly ubiquitous so mm-hmm. you cross paths with it every now and again but no i am pretty much closure all the time i think is my focus and then with the new role especially and before there's a lot of outside projects i'm trying to do and maintain that are written in closures daytime and nighttime and weekends tend to be mostly closure for me yeah, we'll talk about one of those in particular in a little bit. Don't oh, want to oh. don't want to spoil the surprise, but I I know in prep for the show I sort of went and I was stalking you on GitHub and taking a look at the projects that you had up there. So I did notice quite a few Python projects and and Vim also. I guess so you're an avid Vimmer. I am a former Vimmer actually. A former Vimmer. Oh yeah, I, boy. I, I was I was for a very long time. I've written thousands of lines of vim script and learned way more about that than anybody needs to so no i was i was for a very very long time and i think at some point a couple years ago at this at now i was writing my own REPL integration tool for vim and going further and further down this rabbit hole and at some point you know i, I was looking at what are the features that other things have and how i'm going to include them and the next feature i'm looking at is going to be weeks worth of development and i thought you know what colin's doing a great job with cursive I'm going to give him $100 a year and let him worry about building those tools. And I'll go focus on uh, the other projects I actually want to build. So I I have happily moved into that. But I spent many years and I I still do use the uh, IntelliJ uh, Mm -hmm. Vim, IdeaVim plugin. So I'm not too far from some of the key bindings, but... 
Oh, cool. I thought you were going to start a editor war segment here on the Cognicast uh, talking about. <laughs> no, no, no. I think, you know, I think there's something, you know, how uh, I feel like I hear comedians talk about finding your voice. You know, a lot of people talk about when they started out, they were sort of imitating other people and they had to find their voice. Right. And I think other professions are that way too. And I think for many years, I maybe some folks I looked up to or wanted to emulate, I thought it was because of tools they use that mm. made them who they were, made them think how they were, how they did. So I kind of, I adopted that. I use that and there's nothing wrong with any of the tools they can. I've used almost all of them. You can be productive in any of them. But once you kind of decide and find out who you are, you're a little more free to use whatever seems to be the most useful at the time. So I would chalk that up to uh, finding my voice and in, in the world and being comfortable with things that moving away from the terminal and not having anything to prove to myself or others by doing, doing all of my work there. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it's all about what's going on between the ears and another expression is pretty common. It's the programming is not a typing exercise. That was it rich that said that in one of his talks. I'm not sure, but I completely agree. It's that's very true. You know, and I think early on, maybe that was my bottleneck of, keyboard and trying to get more on the screen faster and, and just have the things, the subject matter we're thinking about and what we're trying to accomplish has changed. That's not where my focus is anymore, you know, and trying to get things onto the screen. There's certainly a lot more time thinking and drawing pictures than there is uh, typing on the keyboard. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, that's a, I think that's a pretty good segue. So, you know, how you are spending your time. So you said already you're a member of the Datomic team and you have succeeded our mutual friend, Marshall, in his role. So tell us a little bit about, about the role itself. What's that all about? What is your day job? Yeah, I get to, or really, I feel very fortunate. I get to do a lot of things. So, I mean, I get to play a lot of roles. I get to have my hand in a lot of things. But one of the main things I'm looking at is interaction with customers, working with our contracts and our support and reaching out and finding how people are using Clojure, using Datomic, rather how they're building things, what they want to build. So being new to the team, there's a lot of just me learning and meeting people and assessing what's going on, getting my arms around that. And then I think going forward, there's also teaching some, working with folks, finding it and trying to draw attention to other things that, you know, I think with closure and Datomic, things don't break, things don't change. So we have said things in the past that are still true, but not everybody's getting that message and people come in at different times. So going back and maybe covering some things that some really cool stuff that we've done before and then it's still out there and showing people how to use it or maybe changing my personal goal. It was changing the perception a little bit. I think there's a lot of, it's very well established of using Datomic for enterprise. I mean, big things. Nubank, obviously, very publicly on a huge scale is using this. And I think some folks can be intimidated thinking that's the only application it has. And I know personally, I use it on side projects and on small things and on prototypes and shining a little bit more light on that path that people can get into much easier than you having something very large to work on. So there's a lot of goals and a lot of ambition limited by time, as always, as I come into this. Yeah, and there there are new ways to do that, or relatively new ways to do that. Can you spend a minute telling us a little bit about that? So what is the Datomic story for side projects or small applications? Some itch that one of our listeners may be wanting to scratch at this moment. Yeah, so absolutely. And it is certainly now more than ever to get into it. There's a very stair-step kind of approach you can get as you go in to wade into it and, and get 
deeper and deeper. DevLocal is something that is relatively new that hasn't had a tremendous amount of publicity that has been a huge change in the way I've been doing development personally for projects as well as uh, CI scenarios. But, you know, we have Datomic Cloud, which is an AWS offering, which is a complete system. You can deploy your closure code there, run your entire application in AWS right next to your Datomic database. We have uh, CloudFormation templates that help set that all up, documentation to walk you through doing that. But if you're not ready to go there, or if you're just building a system and you don't need to have other people using it from another location, DevLocal is a local version of Datomic. You can get it, I'm gonna probably put a link in the show notes to that where you can get it, sign up and download that. And you can, you run the whole, you run it locally. It's just a file that lives on your local, local computer. And this is analogies we always try to avoid, but something people are familiar with. I'll say SQLite. So you can kind of think of it as that it's just, it's a file that's on your computer, but you interface with the client API the same as you would through cloud. So why that's really cool is you can build an entire application using a dev local database. And when you're ready, push that same application to a, a Datomic cloud system. And it's going to run there, same query, same code with no changes pointed at a different database. So that has been, um, very helpful for me doing work on Datomic Cloud projects. Neat. And speaking of work that you do on some projects, you have a little side project that I'm, you know, anxious to ask you about. Tell us about Schema Cartographer. Schema Cartographer. Yeah, that's one. It's actually been kind of a long-running side project. It's had a few different major facelifts over the last couple of years. Essentially, it's a tool to visualize your schema and relationships for your for Datomic. And that came about on a contract I was doing where we had a lot of folks who were very experienced with SQL and had not worked with Datomic before. And there were, we had both developers and business folks who were just trying to like get their head around. And it can, it's different. Datomic offers so many unique things that we're all so enthusiastic about when I get into the details on, but sometimes it can be difficult for people first walking up to it to know where to start to have a framework to begin to ask questions with. Started working on, okay, well, how do we visualize it? We have these entities, they have relationships. How can we draw it and how can we visualize it? So that it came about that. So it's a tool, you can take any existing Datomic database, whether cloud or on-prem and generate a schema file that you can load into the UI and navigate the relationships. You can take pictures of it and extend it. You can start from scratch if you want to build the whole schema. It allows you to download a file that has the transactions that you can transact into a new new database. Hopefully it takes even somebody who's not familiar with how to build a datomic schema and gives them sort of a tool to know what the options are and what is applicable when, you know, to manage relationships and data types and uh, annotations and all the niceties that datomic offers. Wow, that sounds incredibly powerful. Is it like almost like an ER diagramming tool sort of? I mean, is this essentially what it sounds like, like the old school, I'm going to date myself here, Irwin. I don't know if you ever used that tool back in the day. <laughs> it's it's fair to draw those kind of pictures. Yeah, so right. it definitely, Datomic's different. So that's, it's a difficult thing to straddle that line between the thinking of I have tables and I have entities. And that's not something that the story is even complete yet with the schema cartographer. I have a few more things relating to mixing namespaces and entities that I still mm. would like to extend because that's not something that's there currently. 
Right. And that is something that Datomic offers, just how to visualize some of these more complex, not complex, unique ideas to mm -hmm. Datomic that you don't have in SQL. Is it some work that still needs to be done? But yes, you can see the relationships and follow specific paths. Some projects I have been on had very deeply nested data structures that were difficult to reason about in a text format. So being able to quickly find pictures and navigate through it to understand how to write your queries and, and where things were in relation to each other was very helpful. That is, that's pretty cool. You hit on something there that I think is not really well appreciated, which is before we actually dive into that. And what I'm referring to here is you were just talking about mixing attributes that, you know, are in different namespaces in an entity. This is one of those things that is, I think, foreign to people with, say, traditional RDBMS experience. But wh why don't we back up for a second, especially since there may be listeners that, you know, aren't familiar with Datomic and its data model. We take it for granted, but it, this is a common question. So why don't we take it from there? So describe for me the Datomic data model and maybe some of the differences and or help orient the listener who maybe has some SQL experience and help them get their bearings. Okay. That's always an interesting, and, and that, this is a very difficult one I've found to do without, at least for me. We certainly have folks on the team who are, who've spent a lot more time doing this to various folks. The way I've found it useful is when I am talking to someone to adjust kind of the description, because it is hard to do. You can do the very factual way of doing it. It's an entity database. We have datums. It consists of entity attribute value transaction. People can kind of just start to hear the Charlie Brown teacher speaking if you go too far into that. So analogies aren't the best way to go. Sometimes, other times they are. Taking a table apart and saying, okay, if you have what you consider to be a person table that has a name and it has a first name and a last name and an address, and we think of those as rows in traditional SQL and those all have to be together. In Datomic, we can think of pulling each one of those pieces of a table, each column in a table apart, and that can be an individual datum in Datomic. And now we could have five tables that we've taken apart into these component pieces and take any of those pieces we want and put them together into something we will call an entity and transact that into Datomic. So you could have an address table, you could have a person table, you could have, help me out, what would be another table related to that? You could have a orders or something. Sure. And we could take all of those things and we could take a name of a person we could take their address and we could take item numbers and put that together in an entity and put it in Datomic. So the base unit is the datum, which is an entity attribute value and transaction, which, which is fundamental to Datomic and allows all kinds of cool things as far as querying goes, history, seeing the change of things over time. That's all big marquee things of Datomic. But the fundamental difference is it's not these, well, the fundamental difference. Listen to me. There's so many differences. For but sure. I think that's something that I find a lot when I'm speaking to people. They start out with, well, how do I query it? And in their head, it's tables. Right. And that difference to be able to show those examples is where I start with to try to show those and to get people. Because once you can have just a little bit of a toehold, then you can start to ask other questions. Okay, well, how does, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I get into you know, all the other history and as of kind of things start to fall out of it once you have, okay, now I sort of understand what these entities are, what the component pieces of those are, then we start to figure out what we can do with them. Right. 
Yeah, I think. So I agree with you. I'm somebody who, <laughs> for better or worse, I live and die by my analogies. I, I think it is useful, as you said, in certain contexts to give somebody a familiar handhold when introducing them to something novel. And other times, it is best to start with a clean slate. And, and that's a judgment call. And I think it may vary from person to person. So I think... There are probably a lot of folks that have experience with SQL databases, and then we reach for that familiar analogy a lot, and it helps make them comfortable uh, a lot more quickly. I think right. the, the potential or one potential drawback to that is that we sort of, they get a little bit too comfortable and maybe keep thinking in sort of that rectangle sort of way. And this is one of the things that you alluded to a moment ago with talk about namespaces. And in that case, it, I do find it helpful to sort of, okay, let's start with a clean slate. What Datomic is about is you know, asserting, and this is not an official thing. This is just how I think about it. It's a database that records facts over time. And the facts are expressed as attributes about things in the world that we choose to model and the values that those attributes take on. And we call the things entities and attributes. We know what attribute means. It's a characteristic of something. And the value is at that particular moment in time, the color it takes on or the, excuse me, the value that it takes on sort of use the word that I'm defining in the definition. That's not good. But as an example, right, it's like Christian's shirt is gray. And, and that's certainly true at the moment, but it likely won't be true in a couple of hours, let alone tomorrow. So it'll still be true for right now. Right. If we travel back in time, the fact that this is great now never changes. But yes, it may be when we that's check right. in at time, it's that, not the same value. Yeah, that, that's exactly. right. And that's the other really cool thing is that we have that ability in Datomic to say, well, it will always be true that at the moment, that I uttered these words, my shirt is gray. Yeah. Um, and Datomic does give you that ability to look at things at that moment in time. Super, super powerful. I, I know, I'm sure this is a common experience, but in many applications, almost right from the get-go, one of the first things that people do is they discover that they want to keep track of history of something, almost always, right? Except for perhaps some really small or really specialized applications. But I've always found that application databases wind up creating some kind of history table to track the change over time of something that you care about. And it's it's always a chore. <laughs> and you're, yeah. It, it definitely is. And I think one thing on the analogy thing we were talking about as far as learning, your starting point matters a lot. Like you said, when you have this history with SQL, when you have something that you're trying to paint your picture with, it's helpful to relate it to that. Yeah. But that's also a conversation I've had with folks recently of, well, is Datomic appropriate for a new person? Could a new, you know, someone new to databases in general, could they start with Datomic? My answer is absolutely. Yeah. And in that case, we have no need for the SQL analogies, right? We can present these concepts yep. the way they are, and you're not trying to reconcile them with something that you already know. And that's another thing, kind of all the way back to examples, dev local, all of that this is something that can be approachable for anybody. This isn't for somebody, oh, I have, you have to have 15 years of SQL knowledge to be able to do this. 
totally don't. This is great for anyone starting out with an interest in this, an interest in functional programming, interest in databases. Anybody can come up and start here and it will it is able to be understood by anyone. That is a, sort of a really cool idea that you just expressed is the analogy is definitely a double-edged sword, right? So there, if it has consonants for you, that's great. But there's also dissonance, right? And you have to resolve that dissonance. So if you're developing your mental model of an entity attribute value database and you're sort of leaning on this notion of the traditional SQL database, there a lot of things will go right for you, but then you're going to pretty quickly, in fact, hit a, a difference that you have to reconcile for yourself. And hanging on to that other idea may actually impede your progress. I hadn't really thought about it until you just said it, but I, I guess that is one of the trade-offs. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way coming from another programming language to Clojure, right? Like sure. The, the notion of a map in Clojure is not a difficult thing to explain to someone right. who has no history with programming. Okay, that's how it works. I get it. But when you're coming in, well, I'm only used to a for loop where I'm updating something. Now we have to start, okay, well, it's like that, but how is it different? And explain those differences. So yeah, it's all the experience you're bringing at this point in time when you're trying to learn something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is really cool. Where can folks uh, find schema cartographer yeah at the moment it's on uh a github we can totally put a link to that in the notes but yeah. schema dash cartographer is the name names are always hard but cartographer being someone who's in the profession of making maps so that was my thought originally of this is like what do i want when i'm walking up to this text file that represents a schema yeah maybe there's migrations maybe it's in multiple files i want a map how do i go from one thing, what's the relationship from one thing to another? So if you just check out, you can search for schema cartographer. And I think, think that's the only one out there. So it cool. should be relatively easy to find. Yeah. Neat. And I'm here for questions. Again, part of uh, a, I'm enthusiastic about this stuff. I do it in my own time. Mm -hmm. I do it for work. I feel very fortunate to have that as an opportunity. Part of my job is talking to people though. So if people use this tool, they have questions about the atomic, they have questions about projects. GitHub, Clojure, and Slack are support forums. There's a lot of different places to reach out and talk to us at. Again, I hope we can include links to all of those, but please talk. We love this stuff and like finding out how what people want to do with it, what people are doing with it. That's a really cool thing of being here, talking to having a tool that can go in so many different directions, talking to people who built projects, always something new. You know, always something that you didn't think of, a different way to walk up and approach it, to use it. Yeah, don't be shy. That's my message for anybody. Don't be shy. We like to talk. Very cool. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, so you've had a chance now to interact with various people in the community, customers and like, and obviously I'm not going to ask you to divulge anything confidential or private, but just at a very high level as sort of abstracting away any particulars, are there sort of questions or themes that that are recurring it's just sort of common uh, misconceptions or things that you see or things that people ask for help with modeling schema i think is one that comes up over and over you know how do we do it what's optimal mm. 
and optimal being very situational, right? What are you going to do with it? How is it going to be used? And that with any powerful tool and flexible tool, there's no correct answer for that. I think that's another good one. The more questions we can have people ask on the forums that can be searchable that do kind of may not have your answer, but may have something similar to how you're trying to model your data, how you're trying to query your data and, and how we can help improve those situations for each person. So the schema cartographer, that was just one of my attempts to help have a, a picture of something to give people a map. But that's one that comes up over and over. And I'm still trying to learn how to tell that story to the people I interact with. So that's an evolving process of best practice and what to look like. We have a starting point. We have an explanation of how to use it, but it does offer a lot of flexibility and you can manipulate it in a lot of different ways. Sure. I'd like to pull on that thread a little more. Actually, I have my bookshelf behind me and I have probably more than just a few books dedicated to data modeling on that shelf. And so that is, I guess, just you can call it a luxury that folks in the RDBMS world have that they can learn how to think about things or how to express common relationships. There's some degree of exposure to prior art here, right? So people have written books about just common patterns and, and models of people in organizations or accounting is very common things. But even still, right, there even there's the danger that folks will go to a book and lift the data model and just drop it into their production database. And like, that is totally not the intent. They're meant to be a guide for understanding the domain and the relationships in that domain and everything else. But I mean, at least folks have that starting point. How adaptable do you think those sorts of resources are to modeling in for Datomic? Where certainly I could see where some things that would carry over perhaps, but where do you think that model breaks down? I think we've seen several times nesting relationships seems very natural in a table space and where I'm, I'm trying to normalize and separate and put things into these different buckets. And then I build these big relationships to query it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to take that path in Datomic. And that can be something that throws you for a little bit of a loop. And initially, mm -hmm. when I want to make an entity of people with addresses and other types of pieces that you may instinctually, if you have a SQL background, think, okay, well, that needs to be hung off of this and that needs to be hung off of that. And we need to have three or four relationships down and you end up writing these fairly large, complicated queries to pull them and to query them. Mm -hmm. That may not be necessary. It's all situational. It's tough to give situational advice without knowing the situation. Sure. But understanding that and looking at that beforehand of what do you have? How do you want to store it? How do you want to retrieve it? And what are you going to have in hand when you go to ask for the other piece of it? And I'm using my hands to gesture that, which the, the listeners can't see. So maybe to say that if I have something that's four relationships deep, if I have the first or second, and I'm, I'm commonly going to have the first or second link in the chain, and ultimately I want to frequently query for the fourth, fifth, or sixth thing in the chain, does that need to be that many links down? Can it be in the same same entity that I mm. more commonly have? So that's really interesting. I wonder, not to put you on the spot, but like, can we make that 
let, let's see if we can try and make that a little bit more concrete for the for you know anyone who's listening. Let's see if we can come up with an example that might be fun to follow. Let's do this. Let's. This is this is our freeform jazz odyssey, which I probably no. will not get right. So we could have a. <laughs> What could we have? We what's, what's our so there is a music brains database out there that folks might be a little bit familiar with, or even if we don't exactly follow the structure of that database, I think. Which actually, I was holding this back for another part of the show, but we might get into music a little bit later. But so, you know, I think that might be a fun domain to explore. So we have artists, we have artists, tracks, releases, genres. Yeah. Okay. Can I form, can we formulate an example from that? So if you routinely have a song and we want to know what genre that song falls into, that's the main thing I want to ask. Maybe it doesn't make sense to have an entity that's just songs on an album. And then from that, I'm going to need to go find, okay, who this is slightly contrived, obviously who made that album. Mm -hmm. And then Okay, that person is associated with genres, and where does it go? And then we have to follow through these several hops to get to the answer we want. If that's the scenario we have, we can store those things next to each other and make it much easier to find. So we can have that. There's no reason in Datomic that prevents you from having an entity that consists of a song with the genre right next to it. And I'm not looking at the music brain schema right now, so this may be a terrible use case for that, but the principle I think is still there of now I can just, if I have the song, if you've given me the song, I can query directly for that sitting right next to it is the genre. And I can pull that back without having to worry about query performance. If I have a unique identifier for this song, we can walk right up to that and ask it, what is the genre? Right. And in this trivial case, it might not make a difference. Once we get into much larger cases with much more deeply nested things and huge numbers of these things, you probably have seen it. I've seen it where we say, okay, well, this query slow. Well, we're asking for the way we're asking for the data is not necessarily a logical way to go about asking for it when we understand what it is that we want to do in Datomic. So and I this have is, a, I, yeah, I, no, go ahead. And, and this is one of those where conversations really help when we can draw pictures, when we can have somebody who has a real example and we can show right. how, to, how to approach it. So I have a, a an interesting example also, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Let's say that we have a, a business and this business has a multinational presence. And I should disclaim, I'm not talking about any particular business. I think this is pretty common. And so we have customers around the world. Let's say this business, this is Acme Corp. And part of the information that we store, well, maybe this is a horrible field to pick, but is a tax ID of some sort, right? And perhaps it's a business to business. Okay. Now, sort of in a traditional database, you might be tempted to say, oh, okay, well, in every country they call the tax ID something else. And so we need to abstract that. And there are different rules though, for let's say the length or even the composition of these things, what characters might be valid, or even here's another more familiar example would be a postal code, right? So in the United States, we have our zip codes and they're essentially all numeric, except for the, the zip plus four that has a dash, but they're all numbers, but it's really common. Just ask our neighbors to the north to use letters as well. 
and I've seen, I'm sure we've all seen <laughs> countless applications fail. Like, no, that really is my postal code. Please accept it. And you might be tempted to just say, oh, well, it's postal code or whatever. But what's kind of neat is that, you know, if you scope that attribute, so like you can just associate the attribute that you want with the particular you know, bag of other attributes that represents an address, for instance, yes. right? So yes. you're not limited to just this very generic sort of anemic notion of a postal code. I mean, sometimes that might be what you want, right? Like you may not actually care about the differences, right? I mean, this is, but other times you do, you care about the semantic differences in these attributes. I, I understand, you know, I mean, this is also a contrived example, right? But you might want to associate like US zip code or whatever some other country calls it. I'm trying to motivate an example here and get you to react to it. So feel free to no, tell I, me I that, I'm, that I'm thinking about it completely the wrong way or whatever, just... Uh... There, there's so many, I mean, that's what's so cool about the atomic is it can be so malleable. Like mm -hmm. we can make it into so many different things, but that's a good example, again, of like the table with specific slots in it. And that is something that the atomic brings is we don't have to explain we don't have to lock ourselves into what this entity looks like from the beginning. Right. So exactly what you just said, if I have, if you're listening to this and namespaces mean something to you, cool. If not, we'll, we'll try to walk around that too. But I have namespaces I've been collecting that is person name, Jared, person address, and it has a person zip code and it has a US zip code. Mm -hmm. Great. We, our business has been a success. And now we have moved into, yeah, we've moved into Canada. We moved into somewhere else. Mm -hmm. We no longer, we don't have to worry about ourselves in a situation of man how do we take person zip code and now have to put in canadian zip codes and put in next to us zip codes we can add another attribute can even be forgive me canadian friends if it's not called zip code there but the canadian <laughs> zip codes we can have a namespace of canada slash zip code we can include those in the same entities that we're querying and update our code to handle a different attribute that has that. Yeah, we didn't have to say ahead of time, it can only have these attributes. And we don't have to worry about putting, commingling two different things under the same name. Yeah. Uh, and that's you know not something that you have in other environments all the time. That's another sort of nugget of wisdom you just dropped about 60 seconds back there, which is you are not locked in to a rigid rectangular design upfront. Right. You sort of associate just like a map sort of on demand the whatever information is important for your application to persist at that moment. And that I, I think that is sort of the power of the universal schema. It's incredibly flexible. And then we can go at, easily ask for it, too. Right. And in, mm -hmm. in a query, we can say we only want entities that contain the Canadian zip code, or we can say entities that have a person name and get back everything, all the zip codes that are in it and, and derive information with. So it is it is powerful and it is different. And that takes a little bit of getting used to when, when you come up to Datomic for the first time. That's one of the pieces it takes getting used to. Yeah, I, I know. I think it is common to see sort of in the wild, all of the attributes have the same namespace. And the moment somebody first learns, you, wait a minute, <laughs> how can I have a thing with multiple namespaces for the attributes. It's kind of, that's the first sort of dissonance that they encounter with the SQL world. But it, you know, and it can really help naming things across 
So I think that's something we see of, okay, I've got microservice kind of architecture. I've got things that are split into different places. How can I use the same name for the same thing in all the places? Because maybe you had, again, when you locked into namespaces to, to your point of zip code, this is again, more contrived examples. We have a person with a zip code. We have a business with a zip code. We have a customer with a zip code. If we gave each one of those a different name, but it's really the same thing, scale that up across 400 different services, Yeah, that can start to be difficult to reason with. But there's no reason in Datomic, it can't always be zip code. And you can query all those things for zip code and get it back. And then the logic you have, the business needs you have after that, we can sort it and, and bucket it as we need it based on those other classifiers. Yeah. But having consistent names for things across these entities can be very beneficial in a distributed environment. Yeah, that, that sort of reminds me of another idea. And I should say we're not dispensing specific advice <laughs> for your specific application. I think the context matters, but sort of the, what do they call this? There's a set of metadata attributes that uh, if you look at like an RSS feed or an Atom feed, the DC creator and, oh goodness, I used to know this stuff like the inside out, don't ask me why. But so in any case, these fields have, or, or even Google, I think they still have schema.org or schemas.org. It's some, one of those, but it's essentially sort of the semantic web idea or of establishing specific semantically named attributes and that this is they have a very precise meaning and so if you include that attribute in like rdf or in your rss feed or whatever that is how you interpret it right you're supposed to interpret it according to those semantics and sort of that is reminiscent of this right so if you have within your domain there is a piece of let's say metadata that's interesting to capture and that sort of it means what it means Right, but you can attach it to numerous things. So for instance, one one interesting use of this might be the provenance of data, right? Which is frequently something that you want to track. The origin means a particular thing, right? And you can associate that piece of metadata with anything, with where did this contract come from? Or where did this customer record come from? Or whatever it is. But the attribute name with its particular semantic definition sort of remains constant. Right? Yeah, schema.org, I think, is one that still yeah. is out there and has a very extensive set of, of names for things. Yeah. Right, yeah, cool. I think one other piece maybe that I think is a common, you, you kind of commonly see people adjusting to is writing very large queries, trying to have a lot of logic actually in the query, which has made sense in many other environments and may feel very natural. Right. Coming from SQL, that's not always necessary. I find, at least personally, rather large, rather business logic intense applications have quite simple queries. At least for me, I find it fairly uncommon in, in a lot of the projects I work on to not be able to understand a query in seconds to minutes at most. Whereas I'm sure a lot of people have had the experience of looking at stored procedures of past of seeing these things. It's like, okay, I'm going to have to this is a day or two to try to figure out what's actually happening here. And we don't have to do that because of where it lives in your project, the relationship your code can have with the queries. Um, the queries can be a lot smaller. We don't have to pack as much logic into them. 
Oh, yeah. I've definitely done combat with some of those store procedures. What do you think is the are some of the reasons why the queries... I mean, I sort of have my own ideas, but I'd like to hear from you why the queries are so much shorter. What, Or maybe let's expand that question to what is different about writing queries for Datomic than writing SQL queries? Having this entity structure, knowing what I'm going for, the pull syntax is very cool because we can have a fairly large entity it can be a nested entity. It can have a lot of relationships that go down generations. And we can fairly easily at the top level of this query specify what pieces we're interested in having come back. And that can often be much more verbose in SQL. Relationships hierarchy, we can express a lot easier in, uh, at least personally, I remember doing uh, common table expressions and recursive queries in Postgres. And yeah. this is very cool to show relationships. And that is, it's a such an easier thing to represent in Datomic, I've found. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think there are interesting differences in the languages, of course, right? From SQL and Datalog. Yes, absolutely. I don't mean to... I'm not implying anything being oh, better sure. or worse than the other, for sure. It's always important to give that disclaimer. But that is something that is an advantage as a strength I found is something that I, I miss when I'm not there, being able to express those things more concisely. Yeah. I think one one of the sort of first mind-blowing moments that I had with Datalog was realizing that you can have more than one quote unquote database or database like thing and or be able to mix your the data that's persisted in your datomic database with data from a csv or some other a structured data and create a query that merges both data sources or queries both data sources and uh, does stuff i thought that was super super cool yeah there's so many p i, I know uh, some of the first times getting to work on larger production projects using datomic Things I had expected to be cool paid off as far as the history, as far as being able to go back and see what had been done. Mistakes happen. They always happen. Cleaning them up when you can see the steps that we went through to get to where we're at is is so great. And like you said, without having to know beforehand and make provisions of, okay, we need to document. We need to have some type of a process that records what changed and have this, you know, change log table, not having that of being able to go in something unforeseen and to roll back time and to be able to walk through the events that led to where we are is always advantageous. Yeah. Schema annotations, transaction annotation, being able to add more data, who did it, where they did it. Those are very powerful concepts as well. So. Yeah, there's so many, there's so many little pieces that when you do have, when you've struggled, when you've had late nights doing this sort of stuff in other environments that uh, you're thankful to have here. Very cool. I, I did allude to this earlier, but I wanted to sort of switch gears for a minute and dive into something. So you are also, there are several musicians at Cognitech, but I take it you are one as well, or at least you hang out in the music channel a bit. What do you play? That is one of those. So I think it's all, again, with context. I'm not far from Nashville, so not being far from Nashville and working on the team that I work on. Calling yourself a musician is tough because we have some pretty pretty high bars around here. But uh, I'm a guitar player. I love music. I, I've played guitar for most of my life. I'm familiar. Do you have any, have you dared to put anything out there, like on 
SoundCloud or anything like that? I haven't. Uh, my brother is an audio engineer in oh, Nashville. Wow. I have the resources, but again, I've, I've been around enough and seen enough other folks. I leave that to them. I, mine is purely, for me, I think it's been fun. It's something I keep for my own sure. relaxation and creativity. I think that's what motivates me in that area still. So I'll make you feel better. I guarantee you that there's always a worse musician out there than you, and it's me. <laughs> so That's what's cool about it, though. Art is expression. I mean, you learn some of And again, we have people on, on our team and, and who are vastly more experienced and knowledgeable. But for me, you learn the music theory. You learn some of the rules, but that's not learning music, right? That's not learning to express yourself or to have fun or to communicate your emotions so there's no i mean if you're going for to to recreate a specific piece of art that someone has we can say okay they did a closer if that's the goal a closer replication of that but you expressing yourself on an instrument that's what's cool is it doesn't know any better or worse i don't think yeah i think I, I mean, I certainly enjoy that. I I always I don't mind telling people I'm I'm a terrible musician because number one it's true, but number two I don't really care how <laughs> bad at it. I enjoy the process of trying to get better and just the, the challenge of trying to play something or, or even trying to just fiddle around and noodle uh, on the guitar. I think is a lot of fun. It's it's it appeals to me much as it appeals to I'm sure most musicians that it's a it's an outlet for self expression. And I, I think I get the same thing from, it's one of the things that I love about writing code is sort of also the ability to express the ideas that are in your head. Yeah. I think it's really cool. And to get out of your head sometimes too, it's, it can be meditative in a way, like any activity yeah. you can engage in that sort of is the, your focus and drowns out the other things going on in the world uh, sometimes is, is a good thing goodness and we all need more of that it, it, it is it's a good thing in good times and bad times and whatever to be able to to short circuit and the, i mean how many of us say i had a problem i was trying to solve and i did the dishes i took a shower i did something and then the answer came to me and music can do the same thing it uh it can give you that little bit of a reset a little bit of room to breathe and come back and view something you've been working on in a different way yeah for sure And sometimes it's just fun to make a bunch of loud noises Absolutely. <laughs> cool. Well, let me ask you, I've monopolized the direction of the conversation. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about specifically? Specifically, no. I'm happy to have this conversation with you. You yeah. and I have only got to work together directly a little bit. Yeah. You, Cognitech in general, just express my appreciation for everybody there attitudes of everyone and in the, the closure community at large i think i don't know if we have any on the fence folks listening to this podcast but i know for me some of the differentiators to move into closure was the people that i encountered involved with it cognitech and otherwise in the community at large a lot of folks who genuinely interested in this and in, in advancing kind of the the career the art the the whole process and helping other people along the way i i just more often than not, encounter very giving and enthusiastic people with their time and their knowledge here. I have received that, and I hope to be able to share that back with other folks I, at different I, points in their journey. I feel the same way. It's an incredible community. It's invigorating. I sort of can't wait for us to get back and be able to have a conch again 
in person. I really enjoyed being able to see people, folks that I know, meet folks that I don't know. That was another really cool part uh, about the conj when we would have the lunches. I would frequently volunteer to go just lead some group of anybody who would follow, be the Pied Piper down to some restaurant somewhere and just get to sit around the table with, and I think universally i've just found everybody to be warm and bright and just just a pleasure to be around yeah yeah, yeah definitely and i i hope for us i hope for everybody world over you know that that day's coming soon we can get back and and the interim solutions have been great meeting people i mean being on the team meeting people around the globe and then mm-hmm. i think there's been some folks i've had the opportunity to do some talks and presentations and groups with after hours too that are globally distributed, which maybe some of those clubs wouldn't have gotten themselves online had it not been mm-hmm. for this. So there's potentially some blessings in it too, you know, some people that I've been able to meet that I may not have crossed paths with at, at local get togethers. But but yeah, everybody's been cool online, on email, in person. And it's that energy that keeps me going. I know that's what I love. That's what I go for with this of the yeah. unique attributes everybody has. I mean, there's so many different strengths of people that I get to work with, and there's never a shortage of things to learn. Never be the smartest one in the room. That cliche, <laughs> that is uh, a reality I get to live every day. Not worried about that ever being a problem I'm going to run into. I, I know what you're saying there. Oh, very cool. All right. Just realizing we've the first hour came and went really quickly so maybe this might be a good point to wrap things up but before i let you go i definitely want to ask you to share some parting advice with the audience parting advice my parting advice okay here here goes another blast from the past for me so i remember in college many years ago in a crummy little apartment where i was working Three jobs, paying my way through school, didn't have much. I came across a quote from uh, Calvin Coolidge, actually. It's called Persistence. I remember writing that down on a piece of paper and taping it to my wall. And many years later, I bought a a professionally calligraphy-written version of it and have hung it on my wall. And that, I think, is my principle. Persistence trumps all. It's easy to be intimidated by some of the brilliant people we get to encounter educated people we get to we look up to but persistence making a little move every day it's just basic everybody understands this kind of philosophy and it's the truest thing i know just keep walking forward find a goal and and just keep moving there because anything worthwhile takes a lot longer than you realize to reach so start today and keep chipping away at it that is a great piece of advice awesome well jared man this has been so much fun Absolutely, man. Yeah, thanks. Well, I um, look forward to maybe doing it again in the future and definitely hanging out with you and talking with you around the water cooler. Same here. Yeah, I would be. If anyone wants to listen, I'm always happy to talk. That's great. And so we'll make sure that we provide some links where folks can get a hold of you in the show notes as well. Cool, cool. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I think uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Cognicast. You have been listening to the Cognicast. The Cognicast is brought to you by Cognitech. 
You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, Cognitech.com slash Cognicast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcasts at Cognitech.com. Our guest this week was Jared Taylor, whom you can find on Twitter at at Jared C. Taylor. That's at J-A-R-R-O-D-C-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And at the risk of repeating myself, we are hiring engineers, project managers, product managers, technical writers, and technical onboarding and education specialists. So if our journey sounds exciting and interesting to you, reach out to us at jobs at Cognitech.com. Our host this week was Christian Romney, who is at Christian Romney on Twitter. Episode cover art is by me, Russ Olson. It includes a map of Mars, but not the real Mars. It's the Mars of Percival Lowell and Edgar Rice Burroughs. But thanks to the Flickr user Paul K, we have this image, and the link is in the show notes. Audio production is by Bear Cave Audio with a tiny bit of help from me. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster, Joe Smith, and Jared Binford. The main theme music is by Newbank's own Otto Nascarara, also known as Nasca, and you can find his music on Spotify, Deezer, and Apple Music, and you can find links in the show notes. I'm Russ Olson. Please stay safe and healthy out there. It's been a long road, and we are not quite there yet, but we will get there. Thanks for listening. Thank mm-hmm. you.